On this episode of your parent-teacher conference, we'll be talking about curriculum, as in the Florida history curriculum that has created an uproar, and country music, at least one song. I'm not a big fan of country music. Now, my wife, she loves country. Must be because she grew up in West Virginia. I don't know. I don't know if that's the influence, but she does love country music to the point that when we got married... Our first dance was to a country song. Now, I had little say in this. If it was my choice, I probably would have chosen Maybe I'm Amazed by Paul McCartney. In fact, the last dance at the reception was to Maybe I'm Amazed. But as my father told me in the days leading up to my wedding, that as the groom, I was just a necessary accessory. It was really the bride's day. And my wife chose the song Keeper of the Stars by Tracy Bird. Now, one song I did want to slip in at a reception, I had recommended that when the DJ announced us to the reception hall, the music that should be playing as we walk through the tunnel of our groomsmen and bridesmaids was help from the Beatles. I said, that would be funny. Nobody would expect that. My wife kiboshed it. She's like, or my fiance at that point, right? She kiboshed it. And during the last dance, maybe I'm amazed, she just looked at me because I think the reception was over. Everything went well. And she said, you know, it would have been funny if we did come out to help. And I looked at her and said, now you realize it. Teachers, are your digital assignments getting lost in the black hole of a digital folder? Can I suggest a solution? FanSchool. FanSchool is a safe and social learning network where students own and share their learning. Think of FanSchool as a digital bulletin board for your students' work. Take a look. Go to fan.school today. That is fan. Dot school, and imagine what your classroom space will look like on Fan School. Welcome to your Parent Teacher Conference, where a 24/7 parent and full-time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Hello, and welcome to your parent-teacher conference. This is Coach Cullen, your host. And this podcast is really sharing my points of view as both a parent and a teacher. And as you'll find out, sometimes I, especially in this episode, I am going to say some things that at least the teacher tribe, as it's presented, would not agree with, but I think is a more moderating position on the topic of the Florida curriculum. But we're also going to talk about country music, hence the story in the beginning about the first dance I shared with my wife, Keeper of the Stars by Tracy Bird. But... We're not going to be talking about that song today. And if you listen to the news, you know the song that I'm referring to. It's the Jason Aldean song, Try That in a Small Town. 
Now, I'll be honest, I downloaded it. And I downloaded it because so many people on Twitter are telling me not to. <laughs> Gotta be honest. Again, I'm not a big country music fan. And I have to admit, I like the song. And I don't care if you're judging me right now as, oh, if you like that song, you must be a racist. That, and that's the problem. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. That people are prejudging people, even though we say so often that it's so wrong to prejudge people. But going back to the wedding song, what was your wedding song? What song did you come into the reception hall on? What was your first dance with your spouse? I would love to hear it. Or if you have a conversation about the rest of the episode as well, please feel free to email me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. P is in parent, T is in teacher, C is in conference podcast, 411, all together, ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. I would love to hear what your first song was at your wedding that you danced with your, for me, what I danced with my beautiful bride and my wife now of over 25 years. Even though it was a country song, it it wasn't enough to stop the marriage and the love from growing, obviously. And I would appreciate it if this episode makes you think a little bit differently on either Jason Aldean's song or the Florida history curriculum that you've heard about in the news. You're talking over with a friend and you said, hey, you know, there's this guy who does a podcast called your parent-teacher con- or the parent-teacher conference podcast. You should listen to the episode on curriculum and country music. You know, share this out. Tell them you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. Just typing in the parent-teacher conference podcast. I'm the guy with the mug covering his face. And of course, if you found this on Twitter or Facebook, feel free to share it as well. So yeah, there. I think there is a connection between this Jason Aldean song and the Florida curriculum. If kind of a, a quick recap, if you don't know what's going on. So Jason Aldean is a country music star. I've heard of him. Don't really know his stuff. But in May, he released a song called "Try That in a Small Town," and the song was speaking out against the riots that occurred after the George Floyd murder. So he's not saying the song isn't about George Floyd. It was about the destruction of private property, mostly in cities, that occurred after. He isn't he isn't talking about the protest. The song isn't about that. What he's saying is, you know, those riots that you got away with in the cities, you wouldn't have gotten away with in small towns because people in small towns will stand up for each other. A music video for the song came out where he took news footage of riots and put it into appropriate places of the lyrics in the song. And country music television, CMT, decided to ban the video. Now, the Florida history curriculum, as it comes to African-American studies, set out standards in the last week or two. And one of the standards, and this is going to be a paraphrase, I'll actually read the, the standard as I go more into the discussion of it, was that slaves learned certain skills as slaves that benefited them post-slavery. 
And this got many people up in arms. Even black Republicans were very angry. If you know, Florida, what Florida is doing is pushing back against the 1619 project type curriculums that America at its founding and everything Americans, America has done up until this point in history is so infused in racism that America is irredeemable. I, that's the most extreme position. I will admit that. It doesn't mean that some of the most um, outspoken proponents don't hold to that position, however. That is a common position. And I would say that if you have teachers in the classroom who are pushing this type of curriculum, I would not label all those teachers as agreeing to what I just said. There are varying degrees, as with everything. There's nuance. And I think that's part of the issue with these two situations as well. I'm going to read you some of the lyrics, not all of them, to the song. Uh, Try that in a small town. Sucker punched somebody on a sidewall, carjacked an old lady at a red light. Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. Yeah, think it's cool? Well, act a fool if you like. Cuss out a cop, spit in his face, stomp on the flag and light it up. Yeah, yeah, think you're tough. We'll try that in a small town, see how far you make it down the road. Around here, we take care of our own. You cross that line, it won't take long. For you to find out, I recommend you don't. Try that in a small town. Now, here's probably the most controversial line of the song, especially if you're strong on gun control and you're concerned about gun violence. He does sing, Got a gun that my granddad gave me. They say one day they're going to round up. Well, that blank might fly in the city. Good luck. Later on, he rings, Full of good old boys raised upright. If you're looking for a fight, try that in a small town. Um... Really, I think he is established. You know, one of the realities that we have to consider is that why would a small town people come together like that? Because you know everybody. You're not going to riot in a small town because you know if you throw a brick at a window of a store or you light somebody's car on fire, you know that person. There's a sense of community where in a city, you hardly know other people's names. The brick that you're throwing to that little uh, mom-and-pop store, you have no clue who owns it. You don't have a relationship with them. So it is going to be different. It, it hate to say it, it is easier, kind of like online, right? It's easier when you're anonymous to go after and attack people. It's even easier if you're not anonymous on you know, message boards or Twitter, it's easier when you don't know the person behind the computer screen to be vicious. It's harder when you have to do it face-to-face, and it's harder even still when you know that person. Now, in the song, there is no mention of race, who's doing it, etc. It's the crime themselves, especially in the beginning of the song. Really, a lot of the song just drones on and on. Try that in a small town. One of the issues of the music video that was concerning for people is where the Aldean sections were filmed. Jason Aldean and his band are seen at points of the video out in front of a courthouse in Tennessee. It is the Maury County Courthouse in Columbia, Tennessee, that in 1927, a black teenager was lynched. Now, some people are saying Aldean should have known that. How dare he choose such an insensitive site for filming the video? How dare whoever created it? I mean, the reality is it's, he probably didn't choose it. Whoever 
was the video's producer selected it for a reason and it was nefarious but there's there's no proof of that it's just an assumption based on where the video was filmed and that's one of my concerns with the woke culture or however you want to define it you know people you, know, you define it one way and they're like no it's really this or no you're defining it wrong or it doesn't exist no it does and and because you see it in this story throughout it's this when i say about woke culture it is they have special knowledge in christianity early on there was something called the gnostics and they claimed to have knowledge that others didn't and you had to pay them or follow them to get at that secret knowledge that they held that you couldn't learn through the Bible or through the Bible stories that they had to enlighten you. And that's what I see here, this kind of Gnostic or woke, because they're woke. They can see it. They can see there's something more in that scene than you do. And the fact is, if nobody said that, nobody would have known. They just would have thought it was a courthouse. And something you're going to hear me say when we get to the curriculum part, what was the purpose of sharing that? Like, why were, why did people have to say it? Because people needed to know that. Or were you trying to imply something about Mr. Aldean? Because you can't find something explicitly. You have to make it look like you have this special knowledge that he's doing something underhanded. You know, that's one thing I really, when I'm in a discussion with somebody, big turnoff for me what actually will anger me is when somebody else tells me what i'm really thinking what i'm really up to as if again they have special knowledge into my brain even the new york times blasted aldine in the video for being insensitive to the lynching that happened here i'm going to ask you a question what if the producers, and even Aldine, because I don't know how much he was really involved in creating the music video, but what would happen if they chose the location because it's a popular location to film in, or other films, other productions have filmed there as well? And if other productions film there as well, why didn't the New York Times attack them as being insensitive, as trying to imply, especially if the performers were white. Because let's be honest, that's the, the implication here. That they're trying to paint Aldine as a racist. And country music itself, kind of falling into a stereotype that these are good old boys, rednecks, they have to be racists. How dare they um, judge somebody on their... I mean, that's what we're trying to get away from, isn't it? But they go after Aldine because they want to paint this picture of him unfairly but they never paint the paint, same picture of other productions that use this. Now, Maury County is not that far outside of Nashville. So it kind of makes sense for a country music star to do a video not that far from the country music, music mecca of the world. But here are some other videos and movies that have been filmed in that location. There was a Lifetime movie, Stepping Into the Holidays, that was filmed there. A group called Runaway Jane used it for their music video, We Were Rich, in 2019. There was a film called A Nashville Country Christmas with Tanya Tucker that used the location as part of their show. But here's the best. In 2009, Miley Cyrus sang in front of that courthouse in the Hannah Montana movie. And there wasn't a peep said.
Why aren't we attacking Miley Cyrus for the same reason? But I'll leave that in your hands. I want you to consider that. Now that you have all the facts, did Mr. Aldean and the video production crew use that location to imply their racism? Or they did, did they choose it because other people had chosen in the past as a good film location? I'll leave that decision in your hands. And why don't you let me know? Email me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com and tell me what you think. But probably the most absurd comment I, I heard about this song or read about it was on Twitter by Paul Krugman, Nobel Laureate. Here's how he, how he describes himself. I read The World is Flat. It was actually a really good book. Um, Nobel Laureate, op-ed columnist. It kind of shows you, his comment here, it's going to kind of show you that despite the accolades you may receive from society doesn't mean you're smart or brilliant all the time because this is pretty stupid. Um, and I don't care that if you judge me by saying because it is pretty stupid. And you can probably, I'd say a lot of stupid stuff. I admit it. Um, Mr. Krugman should too because this is pretty stupid. I know I'm saying that word a lot. Um, but here it is. By now, many people have noticed that Jason, quote, try that in a small town, end quote, Aldine, grew up in a city with 150,000 people. What you may not know, last year, Macon had 70 homicides. New York City with 8.4 million people had 438. And the question, answer is, so what? I mean, I don't mean so what about the deaths. Because if people are listening and say, oh, you don't care about deaths. Again, this is the thing about thinking the worst in people. But the, the so what is, okay, does that make any of the words of the song wrong? Just because he didn't grow up in a small town, is that a small town view? The idea of community, the idea that you know each other, you'll support each other, you'll protect each other from those things happening that you don't see in a city. That's reality. And for Mr. Krugman, who's been around the world, who talks to taxi drivers wherever he goes to get the real lowdown on things, you would think that he'd be smart enough to realize that. Why don't he should take a Uber driver around some small, actual small towns. And growing up and living on the suburbs of New York City my whole life, when you say Macon is 150,000 people, I, I got to be honest, to me, that's still small. And again, that's skewed because you live in the Northeast, this megalopolis, like from Boston to Washington, D.C., you just have almost like city after city after city. But to me, 150,000 isn't big, but that's not the point. The point is, look at the song, and are those values ones we want to hold up? I would hope we would that people would stand up and protect each other. Again, there's an attack going on for something that is not said in the song. And I know during the protests over George Floyd, a lot of people were angered. Not that people were protesting, but they were protesting when everybody else was locked down for COVID. I even know people that were like, okay, well, you know, it's okay because this is a serious concern here. It's, it's something that we need to discuss as a country. So even though we're locked down in our houses, we can't go to work, the protests are good. And I know I might have some listeners saying, no, they're never good because why can't we protest COVID lockdowns? I get it, but we're just, let's just go with the protests are fine, okay? Just go with me on this. But I think a lot of people who would say the protests were fine, they were legal, that's the American way, good for them, were against the rioting. And really that's what the song is addressing. I remember, I mean, think back to that. I remember, remember the people, the store owners, they were putting up signs saying Black Lives Matter, we support the protests. They were basically begging 
rioters, not the protesters. These were going towards the rioters. Hey, we're, we're, we support you. Please don't, don't touch our business. Please don't destroy anything here. I remember watching a TV. There was a black store owner, a, a woman, an older woman, and she was in tears. Her, her shop, her, I think it was like a luncheonette or something, was destroyed. And she's in tears. She's going, I'm one of you. Why did you do this? to? This is my livelihood. Why would you do this? Of course, you have the famous you know, CNN reporter with fire raging in the background. And there's a statement from CNN, kind of like one of those banners underneath him saying, mostly peaceful protests. And there's like out of control fires going on in Kenosha over the shooting of uh, Jacob Blake. And I think there's a lot of Americans, people I talk with are annoyed. They're getting fed up with the news always looking for a wedge to divide us. Why can't both things be true? Agree or disagree? I believe you have the right to protest. That's the American way. Let your voice be heard. Freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of pe to petition the government, right? For redress of grievances. That's all the First Amendment. But rioting is wrong. Then why can't Mr. Aldine sing a song as such? Expressing his First Amendment rights and you may disagree with them, that's fine. But why conjure up and manipulate and gaslight people to believe this song is racist when it isn't there? And when it comes down to it, I think Americans are looking for community because we're getting sick and tired of being pulled in so many different directions. And one of my favorite podcasts I listen to once a week is a guy named Andrew Claven. He's a novelist. Some of his books have been made into movies, um, true crime. Uh, don't say a word. He's not like a political commentator, but I would say he's more cultural. He does come from a Christian worldview at things. I don't agree with him 100% on everything, but he does get me to think about some things differently. On this one, I do agree with him on. He talks about the Christian, he was talking this week about the Christian concept of, you know, we are born sinners. And I've shared this in the past in podcasts. A lot of our disagreements come down to how we see people that either bad choices and evil starts from within each one of us. You know, the Judeo-Christian ethic calls it sin, and we're born that way, and we choose to do it. Or we're born good, and outside forces are the ones that corrupt us. And where's the corrupting factor within us or outside of us? That's And so we're clear, the idea that the corrupting forces within each one of us is not exclusively a Christian or Judeo-Christian idea. Many not Atheists could hold to that view as well. But what he said was interesting. He said this, I don't have a problem spending time with people I disagree with. I remember, right, he was saying th somebody had just kind of joked with him recently that you like everybody, even like people who've done some really bad things you like. And what he said was, well, yeah, because since, again, he since he believes that corruption comes, since, that all of us, that the corruption starts from within us, that we're all bad. And he goes, when you see that you're no better than the person next to you, or that you're capable of doing what they have done, you thank God for the grace and mercy to help you avoid those bad decisions. And I guess if you want to make it even easier, if you don't like that, like the God talk there, just think of it like this. When you start there, you can't think of yourself as far superior to that person. And I think that's a healthy way of seeing people who disagree with us. And that leads into the Florida curriculum. So Florida had to revise their history curriculum because 
1619 project and the curriculum's based on that point of view that race is infused in everything in early America and questioning everything about the United States foundations. Florida pushed back against that as they called it CRT curriculum. So Florida wanted to present a curriculum free of all that. So in their updated curriculum, in one of the strands, it says, this is an African-American history strand. It says this, examine the various duties and trades performed by slaves. Example, agricultural work, painting, carpentry, tailoring, domestic service, blacksmithing, transportation. Benchmark clarifications, clarification one. Instruction includes how slaves develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. And one, I disagree with that. I disagree with that strand being included. You kind of sit there sometimes and you wonder whoever's writing this doesn't stop for a second and say, oh my gosh, this is going to cause a firestorm. How can we say this differently? Because I understand what they're trying to drive at. And the issue they're driving at is agency. They want to show that slaves could learn skills, that they just weren't people on the plantation. They learned skills and many of them, after slavery was over, took those skills and made a living out of it. They wanted to show the Africans were not helpless. But why do it like that? Like that That's my concern. As I commented on somebody's Facebook page who was up in arms about this, they, you know, I said, I don't want slavery to be seen as a trade school. At the same time, that here I am saying it's wrong, that should not be in there. There are other ways to address that issue. And I'll get into that in a minute. I don't think it's some hidden latent desire to show white supremacy. In fact, African-American scholars are in the writing of this strand. In fact, some of them have stood up to defend what they've written. So I don't think what, re again, I, I said it earlier, what this really is, is a reaction to the 1619 project which said everything was just so bad and that the Africans that were captured as slaves and lived in slavery were incapable of learning these skills. Even Vice President Harris stood up against this curriculum. But a lot of this is political. That's really what it is. And again, later on I'm going to share for you probably a better way, or at least my view, how I think slavery should be presented. And I'm going to read to you some ideas that were brought up by William B. Allen, he is a political scientist who has written several history books, and he defended the curriculum. Here's what he said, and this is from the Florida Times Union. So here we go. In an interview clip, ABC posted, Allen denounced his, the vice president's comments, saying Harris was categorically false. That's a, with, that's a quote with her remarks. He went on to say that, quote, the only criticism I've encountered so far is a single one that was articulated by the vice president, end quote, and that it was an error since, quote, it was never said that slavery was beneficial to Africans, end quote. Quote, this is Allen again, I just want to foster and encourage everyone to take the time to read, or as I said in my response to the vice president, I think every intellect can understand the language written there if people only take the time to read it. Allen told reporters, it's only those who don't take the time to read it who will misstate it. He continued to defend the coursework his group helped implement. It is the case that Africans proved resourceful, resilient, and adaptive, and were able to develop skills and aptitudes which served to their benefit, both while enslaved and after enslaved. So Mr. Allen would also disagree with me. He would say, we're not trying to teach that slavery is a trade school. We're just saying that 
slaves were very resourceful and they learned a lot of skills. That's it. And if you read other parts of the curriculum, you do see it brings up the negative views of slavery. It's Think about it. They took this one bit. They're not talking about the whole thing because probably for the most part, they realize other than that's this small bit, it talks about the mistreatment of slaves, the difficulties African-Americans faced even post-Civil War through the Jim Crow era that Americans agree with, that should be taught, that we should teach that history. Now, like I've always said, the biggest lie I hear from the 1619 type CRT folks, anti-racist, we, we don't teach that. We've, we've been teaching it for years. We have. But they take one, they, they had to find one critical point. And that was my issue. It's like, okay, you couldn't have read that and say, ooh, this could be problematic. You basically destroyed your rest of your curriculum, which seems that people don't have an issue with, for one statement. Now, I don't teach U.S. history anymore. I did when I taught in Connecticut. A couple things you can do here. You can compare a plantation to a medieval manor and talk about how it isn't just farming that can take place. You do need specialized skills. And where in the manor, it was going to be the serfs. In the plantation, it was going to be the slaves. You, you can talk about that, how they tried to be self-sufficient. So that's one way you can bring up the skills without the implication that it was somehow beneficial to learn those skills. It was a necessity for that plantation and for the manor, in a similar way, to be self-sufficient. But one thing I was always big on, I did not want my students, and I still don't, to think slavery was in any case good. And you're probably thinking to yourself, well, they should know that already. And I don't think they do. Or they have a view that misrepresents the, the real problem. Let me give you an example. So when you talk about the reasons for the American Revolution, what is it? Taxation, right? Most Americans believe that the taxation was so burdensome on the colonists, they had to react, they had to do something. Everything was being taken from them. That is not true. The taxation actually was minimal. And many times the British withdrew the taxes. You've learned about this. The issue was they had no representation like a British citizen should have in Parliament to speak for them. Why are they being taxed and other British subjects are not? In the same way, I think most students have a view of slavery is that they were basically starved to death, they were always whipped, always being punished. And here's what I used to do when I taught US history. We would, we would look at the life of a slave compared to an Irish immigrant in a factory. And I would say, okay, let's look comparatively. The slave had a place to live. They were given a place to live. They are given clothes. They are given food to eat. Let's say, let's put the slave in the best possible situation. Again, if you're going to, again, if you're going to assume the worst of me, then you haven't listened to the previous half hour of this podcast. Well, all I'm saying is, let's, in our imaginations, believe that this was the best possible of situations for the slave. They're, they're not really being punished. They have a place to live. Okay, again, not the manor house where the plantation owner, plantation house, I should say, where the plantation owner was living, but 
They have a place for their family. They're getting food. They're fed. Again, remember, they're property. You don't want to destroy your property. You don't want to destroy your car. The, this slaves cost money. You're not going to arbitrarily abuse them. And I'm not denying there weren't people who did. Again, like I said to you, let's consume the best possible. And, and then look at the Irish factory worker. Now, they're in a they're, they're working 12 hours a day. They're, they're going back to squalor. They have to fend for food for themselves. They have to fend for clothes for themselves. And then I pose this question. And I'm going to actually talk about one year that I did this and what occurred. I said, okay, this the slave had every material benefit that they needed provided for them. They even had a job for life. The Irish immigrant got hurt where they could no longer work in the factory. Factory worker didn't care. They find another Irish immigrant. Would you rather be an Irish immigrant or an African-American slave? And I remember we had this discussion with one girl in the class kept on saying, I would rather be the African slave. And she was white. And she kept on saying, and even though kids in her class, we did had, we had some black students in the class who were saying, but don't you understand the issue? The slave isn't free. Yeah, they get everything provided for them, but they have to stay on the plantation. The Irish immigrant doesn't have to work in that factory. And the girl's like, nope. They get everything provided. They have it better off than the Irish immigrant. And I remember just so happened like a week or two after that conversation, one of the, my black students' parents, had. we had a parent-teacher conference. They, were, they didn't call it sp- especially for that discussion in class we had and their daughter was a their daughter was a great student great kid fond memories of their daughter and we're sitting there and again there really wasn't much to talk about grade wise or how her effort golden but they brought up they said you know she came home about that discussion you had about the irish immigrant and the black slaves and I'm like, oh yeah, and, and they shared. They go, they had, and she told us about the one student who flat out said they'd rather be the African slave, provided for everything. And we had a great conversation, and the conversation centered around that. That's the problem. That often when we look at slavery, we look at all the horror, the worst case scenarios of slavery, to the point that we never will believe it can happen to us. What is life when you have all your physical needs taken care of? but you don't have freedom. You don't have the freedom to say what you think. You don't have the freedom to leave where you are. And it was always what we were taught as kids about the Soviet Union, right? Communism, that's communism. North Korea, in a sense, their people are slaves. Even the people who live in the cities that probably have a job for life, a place to live. As long as they behave, they're going to receive from the government. It's a form of slavery. And we don't ever want our students to be in a situation where they're thinking, yeah, but we're not being punished. And hey, look, they provide. It's, no, it's not a great house, but it provides a place to live. But you don't get a choice of where you live. You don't get a choice of what food you have. You don't have a choice that you can leave. Again, the idea of freedom. And, that, and going back to the Florida curriculum, one of the reasons that I don't like it as stated is... In a way, for me, it reinforces the thing that I'm most afraid of, that we get into a situation where we believe, even though, again, they say, it never says benefits, but 
you are saying that they benefited from slavery. And I'm not denying that certain slaves learned certain skills. That's reality. Like we talked about the plantation versus, or comparing contrast plantations to manner of life in the Middle Ages. But we don't want slavery ever to feel comfortable. I don't care if a, a slave never got punished or whipped and they had food to eat, they had a place to live, and the plantation owner treated them really well, almost like family. Because the word there is almost. They still didn't have freedom. And that was in that conversation with that African-American family, that was the summation of our discussion. It was a great discussion. It was the idea that, but they didn't have freedom. The job, the skills, the food, the place to live, everything provided for them, the job for life. What does that mean when you don't have freedom? I mean, a better way to approach it would be have some a strand in there about the great debate between Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Bois, Because it kind of makes the point too. Washington felt that as slaves became freedmen, they should get involved in the trades make it themselves an economic force that the white society around them had to turn to them to provide the skills that they didn't have. Where W.E.B. Bois said, no, you have to, you want to get into the institutions. You want to promote going to college, get higher degrees of education, and that way change society from there. It's a great argument. It's a great discussion to have. But by talking about Washington's view, you pull in all that idea of agency, the ability to develop skills, etc. And you also have to talk about, too, if you're going to talk about the development of skills coming out of slavery, is the fact that how much were those skills hindered, or their ability to provide those skills hindered by a racist Jim Crow society around them. There is a lot of things that can be taught in history. You can't teach them all. You have to decide, like, why are you teaching that strand, right? Why are you teaching any strand in history? Then a 1619 project would look at something like that and say, and see it from their perspective and say, that's wrong, toss it out. Where Mr. Allen and others who created the curriculum said, no, we want to show the value. Even in slavery, African-Americans were valuable more than low-skilled jobs. They were they were taking on many high-skilled jobs. And for me, I look at it and say, what's the purpose? I, I, don't, I don't think it should be in. But not because of what the 1619 Project would say. They would say it's, it kind of shows the implicit bias, the latent racism. I don't agree with that crap. I do believe that it was written in as a response to the 1619 Project, and it was it's just awkward and wrong. They should just get rid of it. But again, the reason is because they never want slavery to look appealing. Hey, you got all your material needs met, and you got trade school as well. You can teach the concept of agency and ability and value without going there. And I think I've shared a couple of ways you could you could that could have been done. But instead of a conversation about it, we have people retreating to their corners and coming out for a fight. Like the Aldine song, we assume the worst. And like I say, with the curriculum, I think the people writing the Florida curriculum, it was a reaction to the 1619 Project type CRT anti-racism curriculum. You know, I've shared in a previous podcast on John McWhorter's book, Woke Racism, that's his biggest problem with the Kendi view, um, the anti-racist view, is it does not 
show that African Americans have agency, that they are capable, that they are valuable. He does not like the fact that it always seems that African Americans like himself and many others are just victims. He hates that form of approach. But instead of having that conversation, again, the news media decides here is a point of contention that we can get some views for a couple of days until we find another one. And of course, the news needs those clickbaits and the viewers on their screens to watch on both sides people who are arguing that the Florida curriculum is racist, those who are arguing that there's nothing wrong with the Florida curriculum, those who are arguing that Jason Aldean is a racist, those who are saying there's nothing wrong with this song, it's just anti-rioting. They need that conflict for you to watch. But the one place the conflict shouldn't happen, that we should be able to have these conversations in a civil matter to think things through, is in American classrooms. And as a history teacher today, that is what I hope to promote every day. I want my students to think through and not to see people they disagree with as monsters, but as people that on this issue, they have a disagreement where on many others, they may be in full agreement. Thank you for joining me on the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends. They can be teachers, they can be parents, they can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Remember, a good teacher cares deeply for their students, but good parents love those students, their children, deeply.